Tamashi Station Book Club, the bright center in the universe for science fiction and fantasy literature discussion. I'm your host, Nancy, and joining me this month is my friend Katie to discuss Carry On by Rainbow Roll. We're about to get started, by s- so sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. And like I said, we are joined this month by my friend Katie. Thanks for joining us, Katie. Thank you for having me. And if you want to introduce yourself to the internet. <laughs> Hi, internet. Uh, <laughs> I like long walks on the beach. No. Um, uh, hi, uh, I am Katie. I go by Mombi on Twitter, M-O-M-E-B-I-E. I was a contributor to the Wrong Opinions About Movies podcast for several years while we were still doing that. But for now, I am just haunting various spaces in the internet and littering it with uh, science fiction and fantasy prose. So. And uh, lately you are have become obsessed by the Raven Cycle books. I am so obsessed with <laughs> The fourth one just came out. Uh, I have to say, if you like Carry On um, and you enjoy uh, fantasy with teens who have positive LGBT relationships, then I recommend it. <laughs> awesome. And uh, very... Uh, segue into our uh, discussion (laughs) so like we said we are discussing carry on and um this book has a very interesting origin um if you have read any of rainbow rolls other books she usually writes kind of realistic stories like more contemporary uh, you know more i would say reality based (laughs) not fantasy or sci-fi or anything and um One of her books was called Fangirl, which was about a girl named Kath who was in freshman year in high school, and she wrote Simon Snow fan fiction. And Simon Snow was basically a Harry Potter analog that she created for this world, and the last book of the series was about to come out, and so Kath was trying to finish her fan fiction before that happened. And uh, I read it. I empathize with it a lot, as I'm sure you did as well, Katie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think everyone who has read fan fiction uh, empathized with this book. And um, so people really liked her little fan fiction excerpts. And uh, R- Rainbow Roll said she couldn't get Simon out of her head after finishing writing the book. So she decided she was going to write that story. And uh, it took a lot of you know, effort because she hadn't written straight fantasy before. Ha, straight fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, it came out last November, I believe, um, and was a pretty big hit. And I knew I wanted to read it right away because I loved the whole idea of it and just that it was a story within a story that became its own story. (laughs) No, I find that fascinating. And like, I, there's a really weird place in the in-between there because, you know, people write novels and then fandom takes that and carries the conversation over and writes their fan fiction and uses it to, to explore themselves and to explore the world and everything. And it's really fascinating to see the author take something and write their own fan fiction based on what it would be, you know, because right. it's not Gemma's book. It's no. her book. It's and not- I Love it. Yeah, it's not Gemma's book, who was the author of Simon Snow. It's not Kath's fan fiction. It's a it's a third version of the story. So which I think is so so interesting. And um 
I you've read Fangirl, right? Yeah, I am. I actually that was the first. I think that was the first Tumblr book club book. Okay. Um, I definitely was like, yes, give me that because. As like I was, I was super into Harry Potter fandom. Uh, mm-hmm. Spoilers when I like when I was in college, and so a lot of it really resonated to me. Like I, I found it hilarious that she gets graded down on you know in, in Fangirl, she turns in this fan fiction for a, an like a a project in her creative writing class, and she gets graded down because it was fan fiction. Meanwhile, I turned in fan fiction in my creative writing class and just changed the names and got an A. <laughs> <laughs> If right. My professor is listening. Uh, you know, ten years later, I don't think he is. <laughs> well, and that's that happens a lot with. Uh, I know authors. A lot of times, they'll say their book started as a fan fiction idea, or they started out writing fan fiction themselves, and then eventually wrote original fiction. Spoilers. That's me. <laughs> like especially these days, and it's really amazing to me how many authors especially YA authors these days will come out and say oh no I was totally in Harry Potter fandom or oh no I got my start Mm -hmm. and the really positive way they discuss you know fandom and how how writing fan fiction helped them create their own voice and build worlds and and learn the mechanics of this because you know like when I was in Harry Potter fandom the sort of author role models that we had were very much not okay with fan fiction at the time people that you know, like you sort of your your Anne Rice's and your Diane Gambledons who were like, no, under no circumstances, you are corrupting my characters, you are ruining this world, which is a really weird thing to me because art in itself is about the viewer. Like when you create something, you have intention, but you send it out in the world and the person who reads it or sees it has the final say on how it's read or, set or seen. Right. So fan fiction is just a, like a an extension of this and it's like I think it's amazing and creative and I don't understand I don't think the people who are super like no don't whatever don't talk about my characters don't look at my characters but buy my books like wh- wh- where is the help in that right I know you and I have both said and our and other of our friends have said that if we you know ever get a book published and or write a series and people start writing fan fiction or have a fandom created out of it it'll be like we've made it seriously <laughs> like, the, like the moment i have like one fan fiction story on ao3 for something i write i will be like yes i've made it i can stop <laughs> i'm good now the world is at peace no honestly yeah. like we have uh you know i've got a friend who i i work on a steampunk story with off and on and we have uh, other friends who have read bits of the story who are like, oh, no, I love this character. I can't wait. Da, 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 da. And then I've got a uh, sort of like a gay cyberpunk novel that I'm working on currently that I have one friend in particular who's like, I'm just going to write a coffee shop by you. That's cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please write me a coffee shop by you for my cyberpunk novel. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Bring the tattoo robot over. <laughs> now I need a coffee or coffee shop AU for carry on. <laughs> I'm sure there is one. Yeah. I, I, I have read some carry on fan. <laughs> Spoiler. That's Inception right there. <laughs> so let's dive into the actual meat of carry on. So, like, so the plot, we'll read the plot description, then we'll talk about like how, what we initially thought about the books. And then we're going to talk about. Carry on versus Harry Potter, because you cannot talk about this book without talking about Harry Potter. Um, 
So the plot description is as follows. Simon Snow is the worst chosen one who's ever been chosen. That's what his roommate Baz says. And Baz might be evil and a vampire and a complete git, but he's probably right. Half the time, Simon can't even make his wand work. And the other half, he starts something on fire. His mentor is avoiding him. His girlfriend broke up with him. And there is a magic eating monster running around wearing Simon's face. Baz would have, be having a field day with all this if he were here. It's their last year at the Watford School of Magics, and Simon's infuriating nemesis didn't even bother to show up. Carry on, the rise and fall of Simon Snow is a ghost story, a love story, and a mystery. It has just as much kissing and talking as you'd expect from a rainbow roll story, but far, far more monsters. <laughs> I like that little description at the end. It does what it says in the 10. It does. <laughs> So when I started writing, I, I read this book probably in about three days, um, and it, it's kind of a long book. I It's hard for me to judge, like, YA books, how long they are, because, like, in general, they're supposed to be shorter than adult books, but a lot of YA books aren't anymore. <laughs> um, but it went really fast for me. Uh, the chapters are really short, and usually when that happens, it's really easy for me to just keep turning the pages because I'm like, I read 10 chapters. Look <laughs> at that. <laughs> um, it was just really easy to read. I liked her writing style a lot. Um, there was a bit of mystery in the beginning that kind of got you hooked into the story. And, you know, once Baz showed up, I was kind of like, all right, I need to keep reading to get to the kissing. <laughs> Um, which spoilers, it happens about 60% of the way through, <laughs> but I, so I really liked it at first and uh, the more I read it, the more, the more I loved it. And I said, yeah, I'm really glad I picked this book to read. I thought it was like the first time I read it through because I read it through last year when it came out. Um, last year was my year of like, I would start books and be like, oh, this is too straight and just put it down. Like I just needed more gay in my reading I guess I was just tired of it um and so last year when this came out I was like yes absolutely uh <laughs> right up my jam so I thought I just mostly I thought it was really cute and I was you know I was happy that, that they got together and everything um spoilers <laughs> are we spoiling things I'm the worst yes um, we're spoiling. <laughs> well I mean if you haven't read the book don't listen to the book club podcast that's okay, the rule <laughs> um but yeah like and and I didn't like, I read it really quick, and it was super fluffy and cute, and I didn't really think about it. Um, and I came back to it recently uh, for, for this and reread it, and I was like, okay. Like, because I spent more time with it this time. Yeah. Um, I went through it, and when I first read through it, you know, you're thinking, oh, Simon, you're so obsessed with Baz. This is ridiculous. Yeah. When you second read through it, you're thinking, oh, Simon, you're so obsessed with Baz. <laughs> is ridiculous yeah <laughs> and like like his friends are around him thinking it's also dumb but not in the same way so it's like more i think on the second read through it becomes a, like parts of it become a bit more pointed and not just those parts but also you know parts with the mystery and the mage and the ghosts and everything yeah the the first when they started swip, uh, swapping back and forth with the POVs, and the first time we got to Lucy's POV, I was like, okay, who the fuck is Lucy? <laughs> I was really confused, and I was like, oh, it's going to be one of these stories that I'm going to have to go back and read to like put all the clues together, um, which the second time around, it, it you know, I, I did get 
more as far as like, oh yeah, okay, I get that part, and I like I see, I see what she's doing there, mm-hmm. but um, it, but it didn't it didn't do that as much as other books have done. Like sometimes I read books and I'm just so confused at the beginning that I'm like I have no idea what they're going, but the way she weaved in the mystery, it was just mysterious enough to make you want to keep reading but not so much that you were completely lost no the mystery is an excellent hook and especially the bits where uh simon gets confused because he has the two ghosts visit him in the night and he thinks they're both as his mom um and i think in the i think my first read through i knew the second one was was lucy was not um well maybe not necessarily lucy but was not you know bad as mom the second time um but yeah, I don't. Yeah. I like. I was thrown off a bit at first because first-person narrators usually are not a thing that I. I don't know what it is about first-person that I. My brain just goes, nope, nope, not gonna do it. Um, I agree. <laughs> but uh, the way that she jumps back and forth, and I think it really works in this book because I feel like a lot of times I want there to be a reason for there to be a first-person narrator as opposed to like a you know a close third or, or an omniscient or something. And the way that she handles the mystery in this book and the way the voices of the characters come through makes it worth it. Right. I Yeah, I, I'm the same way with, you know, first person. I don't usually like it. And I really don't like it when they switch back and forth because I feel like it's a cop out. And it's like, if you're going to switch POVs, do it in third. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way she did it here, it, it just goes to prove that anything will work if it's written well. Um, yeah. And that's why I get annoyed a lot when... Uh, you know, people have complained about uh, Chuck Wendig writing in present tense in Aftermath, which it's definitely something that takes getting used to, but I I think he writes it really well, and I can't imagine him writing in past tense, so I'm like, you know, I I understand people have preferences, but at the same time, if you're not willing to give it a try and at least, you know, let it work for the book itself... You know, I, I can't imagine her writing this book in any other style. No, so. and I mean, sometimes, because there's a book, one of the books I read last year, um, it's something that I write to absolutely everyone. It's called All Our Pretty Songs, uh, and it's by Sarah McCary. But not only is it first person, but the narrator doesn't have a name. Oh, yeah. like, wow. Like, you don't find out, you know, sort of the narrator's identity outside of the way she interacts with the characters and the way the other characters are described. And it's a gorgeous book with gorgeous writing. And I think uh, I read that one before I read this one. And I think that was the first first person book that I've read in a very long time where I was like, yes, this is perfect. This is the reason mm-hmm. you use first person narration. Um, and then this one came in after it. And I was like, yes, good. <laughs> because I read another book um, last year uh, called Half Bad. And it, that's a trilogy. The third one just came out, and I, um, I'm not gonna like. I read the first one, and I'm not gonna continue on with it because I'm not. It's not my kind of story. Uh, it right. wasn't something that I was interested in. And the things I heard about the third one, I was like, "Yep, oh, good. N- glad I noped out of that one." But that <laughs> one mostly in third person, and there are certain chapters that are in first person, but those chapters don't add anything right to the narrative in a way that the traditional third person you know mm-hmm. that she was using wouldn't have right which is really frustrating as a reader yeah there <laughs> um there was one one of my favorite books the icarus hunt by timothy zahn is written in first person and 
the way it's written, it, it, it could not be written in any other way. Um, and if you, if you've read it, you, you know why. <laughs> um, and the, that, that kind of thing, you know, I, I feel like you have to tell a book, the tell a story the way it needs to be told. And the, and the other book I'm thinking of, I know you also read it, Lie Smith yes. by Alice Franklin. And it's in third person past and like, you know, typical, you know, sff books are but then there are chapters that are in first person present because it's from the point of view of a god so it it works really well the way it switches back and forth because you're getting two very different styles yeah the very different characters yeah like the stuff with loki in that book specifically like that was that was good like that was um a good use of that and you know thanks to rainbow roll for for also uh using it efficiently and mm-hmm. knowing her story and knowing how to write it because like that's the hardest thing i think sometimes is, oh yeah like you have the idea but knowing the way it needs to be um written and disseminated in the way that's going to make the most sense for the story and for your readers because your readers aren't in your head you know like they don't know everything that's happened yet (laughs) like i can sit here and say oh well obviously you know this character thought this but if i don't tell them that that's not canon that's not a thing that they can connect with yeah so we 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 digressed into writing style but that's okay sorry nope (laughs) that's what we do on the show don't worry um so like I said, we have to talk about the Harry Potter thing. <laughs> and there was a um, there was a discussion that popped up in our Goodreads forum. If you haven't gone over there, you should check it out. Um, and Danny, one of the members, had asked had posed a question about how derivative is too derivative, um, you know, because obviously this was inspired by Harry Potter. You know, it's a huge fandom and any, you know, sort of fandom that you create to be in a book is going to be based on that you know because everyone at least was part of harry potter fandom or knows of harry potter fandom (laughs) um and it and everyone's read the books so they're really easy to take a character like simon and be like oh yep that's harry you know or or the mage and go oh yep that's dumbledore you know um but on the surface, it's very easy to see all the comparisons, you know, because there's the magic school, they use wands, the boy who finds out he's a wizard, all the character types. But then she does her own thing with it. Um, and to me, that is, you know, what the difference between a story being derivative or transformative, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you think about harry potter is not the only book that is about a magic school you know not by a long shot and you think of all other stories like science fiction is full of tropes um and it's you know i've learned that it's not the uniqueness of the story that makes it good it's how you tell it um and if you take things like you know hyperdrive and you know aliens and you know all the typical sci-fi tropes but you create really good characters and a good story that's what matters and she she does that i think really well in this book where it seems very familiar but it's different because it's a more modern story you know it takes place in our in our time um not like it further in the past like harry potter was supposed to um, and the one thing I loved was the spells and how they cast spells and made new spells with the language. I thought that was really interesting and a really 
unique take on, you know, magic. That is so clever, and I adore it so much. And I spent the whole first time reading it going because I know that uh, I have friends who get thrown out by by references to things in books. I have I have not read Ready Player One, but everyone I've talked to it has everyone I've talked to has either loved it because of the references or hated it because of the references and how they feel like it doesn't tell its own story and the way that that. Rainbow Roll uses the language and the spells in this book mm-hmm. is so awesome to me because it, you know, as you mentioned, it looks at how language changes and the way that things um, lose power over time. You know, like they mentioned, you know, like, I don't know why you'd need call me maybe, but, you know, and, right. <laughs> um, but the thing too, like that, that goes back to my thought of, yes, it's a Harry Potter analog. Yes, in Fangirl, Kath is writing fiction about a Harry Potter-esque story. But the way that Rainbow wrote this one, it's not... Like, I don't think it's derivative. I think it takes our sort of understanding of magical boarding schools and looks at it in a different way, which is the difference between derivative and formative. Yeah. Um, not formative. That's the wrong word. <laughs> well, it was formative transformative. For- <laughs> yeah, transformative. <laughs> Super formative Harry Potter fandom. Um, it no. is. Um, but like the way that she weaves sort of the real world back into the magic and uh, makes it very clear that this is not, you know, they want to be isolated, but they're not, obviously. If they're using songs from, you know, uh, I want to say muggle, but that's not... <laughs> normal. Not but yeah, you know, sort of normal uh, singers, songwriters, poets, um, people who have said things, who have changed people's hearts and minds. And the idea of magic as an entity being someone that has the power to change people's hearts and minds, marrying it with current language and not, you know, Latin or Latin analog or something that's supposed to be really fastidious and important and proper, but instead saying this is something that is important, this is something that can elevate you and you have the power to manipulate it. Like, that is probably the most important thing in the book to me. Right. Um, and and the best thing about it, and why I do not agree that it would be uh, overdriven. <laughs> yeah, um, it definitely is more self-aware than Harry Potter, I think. Yeah, and I think that's just what happens when you you know come out of fandom. Um, it's it's very self-aware. There's a lot more diversity in it than Harry Potter, and you can definitely see that Rainbow Roll you know, took note of the criticisms that J.K. Rowling got and and addressed those in her story. Um, obviously, it's a different tone than Harry Potter because it's YA versus, you know, a middle grade story. And even the later Harry Potter books stay kind of in the middle grade storytelling, although, you know, the material gets a lot more mature. But, you know, she never uses, you know bad language or anything like that oh no um but um and also like it's it's just one part of the story i i found myself wanting to read like seven other books of simon's <laughs> stories she keeps dropping in like oh that time that he got you know scared by the chimera or oh, yeah he and uh penelope were kidnapped and i'm like wait what about that time i what? know <laughs> 
more stories. Where are my other six books? Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the other things where I think it takes it, it takes um similarities from Harry Potter, but it also goes in a completely different different direction is the whole self-fulfilling prophecy idea, which I love. And when I realized where they were going in this story, I was like, yes. It's super dark, right? Yes. It's super dark. And, and you know, having, as you mentioned, just come, like having just come from reading the Raven Cycle books, like those get super dark. But like this, like for, you know, this nice fun book about a magic, like I was not expecting that. And, uh, and like, honestly, like every time I read about the mage, all I hear is, you know, a, a lot of our mutual friends going, oh, Dumbledore's the worst. Like, I know. Yeah. literal worst. Why do people like him? And so every time the mage comes up, that's all I think is like, oh, the mage is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I like Dumbledore. Um, I, I, I recognize that he's problematic and, but for some reason, I spent like all of Deathly Hollows reading the parts about him and ended up feeling sorry for him and not thinking, oh, he's terrible. <laughs> so, but I do understand why people think he's terrible. I just, yeah. I feel like he's a lot more, um, he's a lot more good hearted than the mage. <laughs> even though the, even though the mage thinks he's doing the right thing, he, he can't like step back and see, no, maybe I shouldn't try to make my child be the strongest mage ever and end up killing his mother, which I'm assuming is what happened because she couldn't handle it. Um, it's just, and like the whole, I, the beginning scenes with them, Simon and the mage, knowing their relationship, I was like, <laughs> I know, when you go back and reread it, you're like, this is so irresponsible. Why are you the worst? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, in Harry Potter, you've got the whole idea that Voldemort heard the prophecy and made Harry his equal by going after him. Whereas right. if he had gone after Neville, the other choice, you know, it would have been Neville who was marking him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it takes that idea. Whereas, you know, the mage is creating the greatest mage, but at the same time, he's creating their Voldemort, which I thought was really interesting. And the whole, like, it, it ties into the whole idea of Harry being a horcrux and that, you know, having to die in order to kill Voldemort where, you know, Simon has to give up his power in order to save the world, um, which I, I think for him was probably a great thing because he didn't want to be, a, he didn't want that power. He never wanted it, which I thought was, you know, a really interesting take on the whole story. Yeah, Simon's relationship to the power is really interesting to me because he, you know, spends most of his time in the normal world, doesn't let himself think about the wonder. Um, that he doesn't possible. let himself think about a lot of things. Well, yeah, <laughs> don't we all have that problem? Mm. Uh, but like, he doesn't like let himself think about the wonder of it because he's afraid it's going to go away. And then in the end, he gives it away. But you never get the sense, like, like I think that he loves magic, he enjoys it, he understands why people use it, but he never feels like a part of it. Right. And. Uh, because he didn't grow up in it. He didn't grow up in it, and but he, he doesn't also, know how to use it right. Yeah, like, he doesn't know how to control it. And, uh, you know, when you think about, you know, sort of being a, a, a tiny gay kid. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> And, and, you know, like, like 
this is this is your world. This is a very heteronormative world, and like you understand it, but maybe you'll find some pockets here or there of, um, you know, sort of queerness that make you feel like you belong, but you don't know how to be a part of them. You don't know how to create that space for yourself. And uh, you know, like I don't want to say in the end you have to you have to give anything away for that because you don't. Like people find families and they find their places in the world in much less drastic ways than poor Simon has to. <laughs> um, but I like I really love that the way he feels about magic in a lot of ways is also the way he sort of feels about Baz when he gets to realize like oh shit, uh, am I gay? Like, yeah. Like this again. I, I want to do the thing. Like yeah. <laughs> Let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I. So, Baz. <laughs> I can't like. There are chapters of this book where I just have to put my head down on my desk because, <laughs> like that whole that whole bit where he's like, oh, you know, whatever. I'll marry a, I'll marry a woman to make my my father happy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, don't yeah. do it. Baz has a Baz is just all. Cr- sorts of problems because he's gay his dad doesn't want him to be gay but he's also a vampire <laughs> and so it's like wow you you have a lot of problems basil and, and he's in love with his roommate you know as, yeah. as if things couldn't be any worse which i love how when simon was like did you want to do it did you want to kiss me and he's like oh yeah sure that would make things a lot better <laughs> I'm not saying I've ever thought about it, but I'm saying it's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um I I found myself getting really frustrated with Baz when he was like saying to Simon, I didn't know you were gay, and Simon's like, I don't know if I am, and I'm like, Oh my god, really? <laughs> you're gonna have that, you're gonna do that thing. Like, come on, just say it. You're by, get over it. <laughs> I like I saw um, after the book came out. I saw some discussions, and I don't remember. I don't remember if it's Rainbow who said it, so I don't want to misattribute it. Um, but I had seen somewhere where uh, they were saying that Simon probably considered himself gay um, because of the way his relationship uh, with his girlfriend plays out, with Agatha plays right. out, because you know he is in it for different reasons and. You know, young people are certainly in relationships for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they don't want to be lonely, and sometimes they want to have that experience, and sometimes they just want to do the kissing thing. Yeah. But there are parts of the book where Simon, uh, like, he notices Penny's thighs, you know, Mm -hmm. as she's getting in bed, and it's that sort of thing where I'm just like, okay. But as a bi person, (laughs) (laughs) like, as an obnoxious bisexual, I would like to point out (laughs) that he has noticed... uh, (laughs) attributes about both of these groups and you know in fact the only boy that we know that he's noticed is Baz but that doesn't really mean anything because you know he's got other shit going on like obviously he is not in a position to just be mooning about people so yeah I I I probably would have had a lot more problem with that if she didn't go the other way with Baz and just have him be like so matter of fact about it um, yeah, because it is true. Simon's got a whole lot more stuff going on with his life that he needs and that, to worry like, he about. Doesn't, he doesn't know himself. Like he, no. he's very. He probably doesn't even. I mean, I'm sure he knows what bisexual is, but he probably hasn't sat right. down and thought about it. You know. No, and like I, you know, like with my current fandom and everything, like I'm not a person who needs those words said. But like, I don't need the word bisexual to come up in everything ever. Right. But like, I like to see like if that's where a character's going, I like to see a balance of 
attractions and relationships that don't override or erase each other, that don't make one or the other a mistake. Right. Um, which is what I hate in fiction. Yeah. Like, oh, and a, a thing that happened actually a lot in Harry Potter fandom at the time, uh, like I was never into Harry Draco, which I think would be the analog here, but I yes. was super <laughs> into Rima Sirius. And a lot of that was, um, well, I'm not gay, but I'm gay for Sirius. You know, I'm not this, but I'm gay for that. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, at the time, I was, you know, 20 and had been in a relationship with, you know, my boyfriend for for three years and would continue on with that forever. So, like, it's not like I'd ever had to really think about it, think about it. But in my head, I'm thinking, but you can like both. Like, that's a thing that's possible. Uh, Why can't Remus just be bi? Like, why can't this be a thing that just happens? And... You know, like that happen that happens in fandom a lot these days too, where people will say, Oh, well no, this character is asexual and make them their own. Um, which I think is kind of amazing, honestly. Like right. I'm never gonna knock a person for, for taking a character they relate to and, and creating their own space for them in that. Mm-hmm. But the way that Simon is trying to discover himself in this book, I think lends to the sort of you see several times you see him go, Oh, am I gay? Like, wait what do I want? Yeah. Because he legitimately does not know. Yeah, he goes, he I want to kiss a bloke. That's new. I want to <laughs> kiss him again. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 like I said, I think I thought it was very understandable. If it had, if we had just had Simon's point of view, it might've been more annoying. But like I said, because yeah. we had Baz who was just, when he goes, are you gay? And he goes, Oh yeah, completely. I was like, okay, well, you know, that's kind of, and then there's other references to like Ebb, um, feeling up girls or something. Yeah. So it's definitely not heteronormative. As- no. And like, well, that's interesting too, because you get that from her brother who is yeah. like, Oh, does that even count? But yeah. like, like, and that's one of those things where you go, "Oh, I'm gonna stab you through the page." But the narrative itself doesn't treat it that way. Like, the narrative no. self treats it differently. So I'm just like, "You were not cool." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, we talked about Simon Baz. We talked a little bit about the mage being the worst, <laughs> and he is kind of the worst. Um, I, I mean. We got some of his point of view, so you can kind of see the whole I'm trying to do the right thing. But I think I would have liked mo- a little more development in him. Like, it just because it seemed like a lot of this, all the stuff we got early on was from Lucy's point of view, which was very, you know, rose tinted glasses. And like, I just wanted to be like, oh, you're the worst, which I guess is the point. But, you know, it, he seemed a little bit too kind of like mustache twirly villain you know at times yeah um but it wasn't enough to really you know take away from the story um no and like that too like even when we see him through lucy's sort of rose colored tent the things he says yeah are massive red flags even though she's not reading them as that the way he speaks, you know, about magic and about her and the way he cuts her like that's typical you know textbook abuser behavior yeah someone off from their friends and 
tell them how special they are and do all of these things. And like in my head, I'm going, just get away from him. Yeah, that it was really disturbing. Like, I'm like, oh, like, don't you realize like what he's what he's doing? <laughs> I know. And like, I don't because because we don't really get a lot of the mage himself in the book. Like, I'm not even sure he was ever, you know, like, like if he actually loved her. She says that he treated her very gently, you know, uh, during the pregnancy and everything. And then it was of course obvious he, that he did. Loved her. Right. And then it was obvious that he loved her. But I, like as a reader, I'm not sure if I buy that because I don't of his think, actions. I don't I don't buy her. I, and I don't buy that he loved Simon either. So again, him yeah. being the worst. <laughs> um what did you think about the other, like all of the secondary characters? This definitely has a lot more uh women than Harry yeah. Potter. Um yeah. and you know the, the big the big thing is is the trio in this story is you know two girls and a guy which I I I appreciated cuz usually it's it's the other way around. Um and Penny, I really liked Penny. It's I it's probably hard not to like Penny. <laughs> she's amazing. Like she's, I want to be best friends with Penny. Yeah, she's very Hermione, but she's also Ron. So she's kind of them in the same person, if that makes sense. Um, I was when I was reading it the second time, I'm like, I see a lot more Ron in her than originally, because <laughs> she's very much like, I'm going to do what I want to do, you know. And you know, yep. um, and Agatha is one of those characters I have a lot of conflicting feelings about. Like, I think it's very easy to dislike her, um, but reading through it the second time, I there were a lot of times I did feel bad for her. Because she just wanted to be normal so bad. I know. And, like, I am really glad this is one of those instances in which the switching off the first-person point of view really helps, I think. Like, I am really glad that we have Agatha's point of view and we know what her priorities are and what she wants. Yeah. And her relationship to Simon because really she likes riding horses and she likes hanging out with her friends and she totally idolizes you know, Lucy, who she doesn't even know, but who she assumes went off to the normal world right. to not have to handle any of this anymore. And obviously we know that's not what happened with Lucy, but, you know, it's one of those things where when you have people you idolize, when you have your heroes, whatever, you have to, like, when you're 17, you don't. But sort of when you get older, you realize that the people that you view them as are not the people they are, but the people that they are are not as important as the people you view them as. Right. You know, like it's one of those, like when Bowie died and everyone was really upset about it when I was really upset about it and people were like, Oh, well he wasn't that great of a person. You're like, but it's not about him as a human being almost. It's about him as a cipher and how, what he did makes things easier for you and what Lucy supposedly did like from stories from friends or whatever Mm -hmm. gives Agatha the space to say oh this is okay like there's so many characters in this book who are just like need to see that certain things that they hadn't grown up with are fine and that it's totally okay to make your own way in the world and Agatha illustrates that you know, sort of even more poignantly I think than, than a lot of the other characters even though Simon does you know give up everything Agatha also sort of gives a, you know, in a different way. She tosses it over entirely and was like, nope, don't want it, and just flies right. away. But I, um, yeah, I think Simon probably emul- wanted to emulate the mage a lot, but he yeah. also had Ebb as sort of like the opposite 
you know, because like the he wanted to be like the mage as far as, you know, using his magic. And, you know, he saw the mage was very in control and he's not. Um, but then Eb is just kind of doing her own thing with the goats and not worrying about stuff and being sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, you know, he between like those two points of view, it's kind of like, yeah, you, you needed a better role model. <laughs> well, like Eb, Eb works really well as a balancing influence. And like, it made me so sad. Ugh. Like, I just got so sad when I was, when I read about, you know, Baz's mom. Yeah. Uh, telling her that she didn't have to leave. And, you know, it's played off later as, oh, well, she was keeping an eye on her because of her brother. Um, but the idea that Eb couldn't handle moving on, yeah. couldn't handle going forward, and just wanted to stay, right. you know. And I mean, she she still wears her Watford jumper that you know is, is faded and pulled and you know gross, I guess. And there's a point where you have to move on. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Eb staying there with the goats, like I like that Simon has her, but as a character, I wish that she, you know had at some point decided to not cry over it anymore at the very least it's hard to get over things sometimes right yeah (laughs) yeah I Eb Eb was a very interesting character and I'm it it was I was very sad that she died you know it seemed like she deserved so much better (laughs) Eb did deserve she they 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 all did really yeah I'm not gonna pin that on the other and it just (laughs) it just reminded me of if Hagrid had died and I was like I can't think about that (laughs) I cannot think about that yeah um so yeah um I that's oh one thing I did want to talk about is is the the relationship between Simon and Babs because I you said before you weren't really big into Harry Draco I definitely was not <laughs> I, I hated Draco both book Draco and movie Draco um I know a lot of he's got a lot of fans and people want him to love Harry forever and I was like no don't see it <laughs> I like movie Draco I don't want Harry to kiss him <laughs> yeah but like this story it just it did that so well where you can't help but feel bad for this poor kid and like he's I mean his family isn't the greatest but you also see them at home and they're not like you know trying to kill people like Lucius Malfoy is (laughs) you know they're, they're just kind of normal and especially like the scenes with Baz's mom like I would love a story with Baz's mom because she just seemed so cool. Um, and the fact that she was, you know, a super powerful magician and the headmistress of the school and a mom, you know, and apparently, yeah. you know, there's a story about her defending her Baz's dad in three duels before he accepted her proposal. And I'm like, I want that story. I want her to be the the lead of the story because that's freaking awesome. And you never get that in fiction. Well, too, like, not only is not only does she have a son, but she seems like a mom. Like, Baz talks about how she would let him play in the office while she was there and, you know, be involved in his life. And it, like, it 
it's ultimately really sad in the end that, you know, she's sort of, I think, like, I'm not sure if Baz's understanding of the, well, she obviously killed herself so she wouldn't be a vampire. She would want me dead too. Um, I know Fiona notes that, that, you know, she, like, Baz's mom would have been very wrong about that. Right. About the vampire thing because of how special and, and how much Fiona loves Baz. And I love Fiona too, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For people who have been kidnapped and bloody numpties. Oh. <laughs> Fiona is super great. <laughs> like the women in that family are really awesome. I don't. I get really sad about his dad. <laughs> um, yeah. But you're right. Like they're not out attacking people. I, they do have their latent racisms, um, as a lot of people do, and as a lot of people and you know they have like a classism that is also very overbearing, mm-hmm. but. That I think from where Baz is coming from um, is another illustration of how you can you can change it. Like you can not worry about these things. You can take them and make them your own. And for Baz to say, "Oh, well, fine, I'm in love with my enemy." Yeah. <laughs> like, like he, you know, he, he's sort of lower class. And I love Baz every time Baz talks about Simon like eating, like how disgusting he is, because mm-hmm. Baz grew up with quote unquote, you know, probably had lessons and manners um and simon had care homes so (laughs) i love when he says a thing about simon eating like a like a rabid dog or something (laughs) a rabid dog he wants to slip the tongue (laughs) posted it to twitter and was like baz uh i'm gonna kink shame you right now baz (laughs) and also the part when he said he wanted to spit on simon's face and then lick it off and kiss him (laughs) There were so many parts that I'm like, wow, she went there. Okay. <laughs> like, Baz pitches a lot of feelings and he's not afraid to let anyone know that. Nope. <laughs> and then, you know, they finally get together and it's like, yay, finally. <laughs> because, like, they're they're really good as, you know, antagonizing together. But it's it's that whole, you know, love-hate relationship that, you know, people love in fandom. But the way it is in this book, it actually works really well, you know, because sometimes it can, sometimes it can go too far. Like, you know, there are the people who ship Ray and Kylo Ren, which is fine if that's your thing, but also kind of recognize that it's a little bit problematic. (laughs) Um, And this one, I think it, it, it toes that line, but because you get their points, both points of view, you realize why Baz does the things he does. Yeah, um, well, I mean, not only that, but, like, the thing, the thing about Ray and Kylo Ren is that Kylo Ren's literally kidnapping people and trying yes. to kill them. Like, like Baz... Baz does bad wants- things, but he also is a child, and it seems like as he grows up, he goes out of that. He yeah. does, but also you can tell by his narrative and by the way he treats Simon... That he is very reluctant about having to be the person who was supposedly going to hurt Simon. He doesn't want to. He wants to protect him. He wants, because he loves Simon Snow a lot, and he wants to make sure that the world still has him and is okay and remains intact. Because I think to Baz, a world without Simon Snow is not worth it. Like, everything will go to hell 
we need him, and not just because he's the chosen one, but because he's Simon Snow, because Baz has so many feelings about his roommate. <laughs> so many feelings. <laughs> so many, so very many feelings. How many chapters are in that book? <laughs> 80-something. Um, but yeah, and the reason that doesn't read the same, like, because the whole Harry Draco thing is like, it's, you can't, like, there's not any sort of narrative or any evidence in the books to me you know like i'm very biased for certain pairings in harry potter and that's just not one of them so maybe i'm not reading it the same way but there's no evidence that draco wants Cares harry me? right like like thinks that a world without harry would be bad yeah you know like i think draco maybe has a sort of come to jesus moment in you know the end where he thinks okay uh, clearly, killing is wrong. Right, <laughs> draw a line somewhere. But I don't. I, I don't think it's about Harry as much as is for Baz. It's about Simon as a human being. Right. Yeah, agreed. I uh, mean, I really want a story with Natasha Grimpitch. <laughs> She's so cool. Uh, and I think that I really—that's one of the things I really appreciate about this book—is because most of the books I've been reading lately have had female main characters. I'm finding it really hard to read books with a whole bunch of dudes anymore. Um, and <laughs> that's my problem. There's a, book, there's a book that came out last year called A Little Life, uh, which is supposed to, like, quote unquote, the great gay novel, like things that I've seen other people write, not what I have, you know. Yeah. And I started to read it and I'm like, this is a thousand page book about bros. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Just, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Bring me a yeah. yeah. And this book could have gone that way, but. It was very deliberate at adding lots of women to the narrative. So it, it did not go that way. So I very much appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I also appreciate the gay stuff because you don't usually get that in canon of stories. Um, you know, I, I, I ship Poe and Finn and I'm definitely not expecting that to happen in, you know, the actual movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so when 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 stories actually do go that way, it, it's very appreciative. <laughs> I think that's the thing, too, is that we're so used to not having it. And I don't like like when you when you read this book and people go, oh, well, it's like fan fiction. And when you read something like The Raven Cycle in the fourth book, and people are like, oh, it's like fan fiction. And when you read, you know, uh, half bad or whatever. And I think that the re that that brush off reaction is because we're not used to our literature going the way that we want it to go. Yes. We're not used to being represented. We're not used to being told that this is okay and that this is a way that you can live life. Mm -hmm. So because the fan space has been creating those narratives and, make, and making a space for themselves for so long, now that it's starting to happen more in the general public, you go, oh, well, obviously. Right. Um, but that's not it. It's not any less serious because these people – you know, these groups are getting to have their say. Right. Uh, and I'm super happy about it all the time. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think the whole brush off of it's like fan fiction is going from it's a bad story or it's poorly written to being it, it, it cares about fandom, you know, and it considers yeah. fandom and fans. Um, like, Last year, a book came out called Lost Stars, which I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening to this show have read. It was by Claudia Gray, and it was a YA novel. Um, 
set. It started like right after the, you know, a little bit after the empire was formed and it followed these two characters up until like a year after the battle of Endor. Um, and it, they were basically like telling the star Wars movies through their eyes. And like, they were going in and out of the story. And like one of the characters stayed with the empire. The other one ended up going to the rebellion and they were in love. And so it was very, yeah, it was very, um, it was very dramatic. (laughs) Um, but you know, a lot of people have said it's their favorite of the new Canon star Wars books. Um, and I read it and I kept thinking, Oh my God, this is fan fiction. Like, and it's not saying it's bad because Claudia Gray is an amazing writer. It's just the way it was told reminded me so much of fanfic and how you'd get the sort of moments, the quiet moments between characters you wanted and the romance that you wanted, but not sacrificing like the story as a whole. Yeah. Um, and you know, and um, I, it wasn't, it's not my favorite book of the new canon but it's definitely up there and i i I think as a lot more star wars fans become star wars authors (laughs) um it we're probably going to get a lot more stories that remind us of fan fiction in a good way not in a bad way you know no and like the you know stories are just as malleable as language and uh, you know people who wrote you know we have classics quote-unquote now that are just fan fictions of the Indian. like oh yeah stories travel through time well, how and many re- echoes how many retellings are there now like retellings are a huge uh market especially yeah. in ya you know and like they're they're authors yeah that are that just have series that are just retellings of fairy tales and i tend to like retellings of fairy tales not all of them mm-hmm. i like you know like there's definitely there a couple years ago there was a glut where i was like all right guys let's let's chill let's retell something else um but i like them because fairy tales of their time had different sensibilities than we do now so i like seeing stories refocused yes uh i think that's fascinating if it's done in the right way and i appreciate that we're eventually going to get to a point where somebody's going to go oh well this is blade runner refocused you know like this is a snow crash refocused like i'm going to get The books that were important to me, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, the sort of cyberpunk uh, sci-fi novels where somebody's going to go, oh, all right, well, this is a part of, you know, part of the collective conscience. Let's take this and retool it to a more appropriate Mm -hmm. um, sort of set. Uh, And I can't wait for it. I'm so stoked about the fans who become authors and everything. You can even say, like, that's what The Force Awakens did. You know, it made it took star wars and made it modern and a lot of people don't like that but i i love it (laughs) you know because it's like it's everything i loved about star wars but it you know has a female main character and it has a lot more women who speak you know and and you know not in the movies necessarily but in the books and in comics it's a lot more queer friendly Mm -hmm. um, which other people don't like but we do so if you don't (laughs) like that don't listen to our podcast I am never like I just I really love The Force Awakens. I'm clearly not as into Star Wars as you are. Like, That's okay. I, I I grew up with the original movies. My mom really loved them. I've seen them countless times and they're just part of my DNA. And to have something like The Force Awakens come in and say, Okay, well, this one's for you. You yeah. know, like like here is a female, uh, here is Finn, here is Poe, 
here is Leia Organa being a bamf like you've always wanted her to be since you were yep. six. You know, like <laughs> yes. um, I I really loved it, and I don't I, I understand the criticisms towards it, but I don't understand the racism. I don't understand the misogyny. I don't understand looking at a story and saying, oh well, because it doesn't cater to me, it's not you know, like, it's not good. Like, yeah. there are lots of things that don't cater to me. Like, There's so I... many things that, like, all of, <laughs> most of fiction doesn't cater to me. Right? Like, like I'm a bisexual lady. Uh, so many things don't cater to me. <laughs> so many things blatantly tell me that I am evil and terrible and should never, you know, talk to anyone ever again. So... <laughs> you are! Well, this is true, but not because I'm a bisexual no. lady. I'm a terrible human being. Uh, <laughs> that's that's outside true. of it. <laughs> That's not true, Basil. <laughs> but, you know, I I cannot wait. I cannot wait for more of it. I cannot wait for more people who have those things in their DNA to come out and create things, you know, like Carry On or like the new Star Wars or that will say, oh, look, we, we've been here too all along. You yeah. know, like we're all so important. Yes. Yeah. It. I mean, it's the whole like women like science fiction, like. Um, yeah, we've always liked science fiction. We started science fiction. Shut up. <laughs> I love it so much. Like, especially in college when I would get, you know, like I read um, The Difference Engine uh, when I was in college. And that is a, like, a, that is a dense book. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of hard sci-fi, like, steampunk thing. Like, the sort of, you know, definitive steampunk novel before steampunk, quote-unquote, was a thing. Um, and, you know, like, you talk to, to dudes about it. And it was the same conversations I was having having at the time with dudes I didn't know about cars yeah. where they're like oh you like that like 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 you're some sort of weird quasi person who's not really a lady because you like science fiction or you like this sort of thing like no. yes yeah <laughs> I have a brain I'm allowed to do stuff I don't understand <laughs> you can like whatever the heck you want like and like one of the things I liked about this book was the part when they were decorating the gingerbread ladies and Penny's like, do they have to wear pink? And Agatha's just like, well, I like pink. And it's I true. <laughs> like, I, I liked that, you know, that they had girls who are, you know, not typically girly, but then you've got Agatha who is, and she's fine the way she is. And that's, you know, I like that message. You can be whatever you want. And, you know, if, if she that's what she likes, that's what she likes, you know, so... Right, and like it's one of those things where it's obviously not hurting Agatha to like pink. It's not hurting no. Agatha to be It's not hurting Agatha to do. And Penny's whole take on oh well, the patriarchy. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but if Agatha's happy wearing dresses, just let Agatha wear dresses. I it's know, not right? It's, like that's not actually promoting the patriarchy. The patriarchy is. Yes. So, like, you, can't, <laughs> you can't live a weird reactionary life where you're like, no, I'm not going to do anything that anyone. Who looks like that says because then you're letting them like have control of you just as much as if you you know were right. conscious of it and still did it right all right i think we've talked about this book a lot <laughs> sorry i have a lot of feelings no that's okay <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about before we end our discussion <laughs> you should read this book everyone yeah, it's super cute. Read it. The kissing is really nice <laughs> and sweet. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking fire. <laughs> and also kind of dirty. Seriously. There's a part when they say, when Pass is like, or yeah, he said Simon like was on all fours over me and made me reach for his mouth and they kind of like made me cover my mouth and go, ah! 
<laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> this is not what I'm used to in my way. Well, it's what I'm used to in my way now. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I love like when people talk about like Star Wars books, like because we're getting another YA book coming out and they're like, oh, another YA book. I'm like, have you guys read any YA recently? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, even The Hunger Games, like, which is like the most mainstream, you know, you should know that it's not all rainbows and fairies. Dark shit. Dark shit and yeah. cussing and like complicated, messy relationships that, you know, people have when they're teenagers because you're complicated and messy yourself and you mm-hmm. don't know how to handle anything. Nope. Um, I love it a lot. Like I didn't read a lot of YA when I was a YA age mm-hmm. um, because like I was raised on like fantasy and science fiction. So I was reading ridiculous other novels at the time. Uh, but like my mid twenties, I started to read YA, and I I still love it. I can't like I can't get enough of it. Yes, bring me more YA books like this one. Yes. <laughs> oh, agreed. All right, I think we've exhausted our carry on discussion. I'm, you should all go read the book. It's very good. If you haven't already, we ruined it for you, but that's fine. <laughs> read no, it. No. Read it anyway. The, the, the pleasure is in the journey. It is not the destination. <laughs> it is. Um. So thanks again, Katie, for coming on. And again, can you remind everyone of where they can find you on the internets? I am uh, on Twitter as Mombi, M-O-M-E-B-I-E, currently shouting about The Raven Cycle, but frequently shouting about other books that I've read and superhero TV shows that I will watch because I'm big into superheroes, guys. Yay. All right, everyone. This episode of the Tashi Station Book Club has been brought to you in part by Hero Universe and you, our Patreon subscribers. Please click the links on the blog to help us support the show. And you can find the show on Twitter with the handles Tashi underscore station. And I am Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. On Facebook, we are the Tashi Station Network. You can subscribe to our shows in iTunes and Stitcher. And please leave a review because it helps us grow the show. Uh, we have columns and news over at Tashi-Station.net and our book club discussions over on Goodreads. Next month, speaking of badass Leia Organa, we are discussing Bloodline by Claudia Gray, the Princess Leia, or actually should I say Senator Leia novel we've been clamoring for forever. Um, I have read it already. It is amazing. Um, and if you do not like Star Wars, if you haven't read any of the books, you do not need to have read them to read this book. Um, it is it is understandable all on its own. So uh, catch us next month uh, to discuss Bloodline. And everyone, go carry on. Bye. <laughs>